0: Phase seven, Chapter Fifty Nine of Tess of the D'Urbervilles*. recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifty Nine. The city of Wintonchester, that fine old city, a four-time capital of Wessex, lay amidst its convex and concave downlands in all the brightness and warmth of a July morning the gabled brick tile and freestone houses had almost dried off for the season their integument of lichen the streams and the meadows were low and in the sloping high street from the west gateway to the medieval cross and from the medieval cross to the bridge that leisurely dusting and sweeping was in progress which usually ushers in an old-fashioned market-day from the western gate aforesaid the highway as every winton cestrian knows ascends a long and regular incline of the exact length of a measured mile leaving the houses gradually behind up this road from the precincts of the city two persons were walking rapidly as if unconscious of the trying ascent unconscious through preoccupation and not through buoyancy they had emerged upon this road through a narrow barred wicket in a high wall a little lower down they seemed anxious to get out of the sight of the houses and of their kind and this road appeared to offer the quickest means of doing so. Though they were young, they walked with bowed heads, which gait of grief the sun's rays smiled on pitilessly. One of the pair was Angel Clare. The other, a tall budding creature, half girl, half woman, a spiritualized image of Tess, slighter than she, with the same beautiful eyes, Clare's sister-in-law, Liza Lou. Their pale faces seemed to have shrunk to half their natural size. They moved on, hand in hand, and never spoke a word, the drooping of their heads being that of Giotto's two apostles. When they had nearly reached the top of the great west hill, the clocks in the town struck eight. Each gave a start at the notes, and walking onward yet a few steps, they reached the first milestone, standing whitely on the green margin of the grass and backed by the down, which here was open to the road. They entered upon the turf, and impelled by a force that seemed to overrule their will, suddenly stood still, turned, and waited in paralyzed suspense beside the stone. The prospect from this summit was almost unlimited. In the valley beneath lay the city they had just left, its more prominent buildings showing as in an isometric drawing. Among them the broad cathedral tower with its Norman windows, an immense length of aisle and nave, the spires of St. Thomas's, the pinnacled tower of the college, and more to the right, the tower and gables of the ancient hospice, where to this day the pilgrim may receive his dole of bread and ale. Behind the city swept the rotund upland of St. Catherine's Hill, further off, landscape beyond landscape till the horizon was lost in the radiance of the sun hanging above it. Against these far stretches of country rose, in front of the other city edifices, a large red-brick building, with level grey roofs, and rows of short barred windows bespeaking captivity, the whole contrasting greatly by its formalism with the quaint irregularities of the Gothic erections. It was somewhat disguised from the road in passing it by yews and evergreen oaks but it was visible enough up here. The wicket from which the pair had lately emerged was in the wall of this structure. From the middle of the building an ugly flat-topped octagonal tower ascended against the east horizon, and viewed from this spot, on its shady side and against the light, it seemed the one blot on the city's beauty. Yet it was with this blot, and not with the beauty, that the two gazes were concerned. Upon the cornice of the tower a tall staff was fixed, their eyes were riveted on it. A few minutes after the hour had struck, something moved itself slowly up the staff, and extended itself upon the breeze. It was a black flag. Justice was done, and the President of the Immortals, in Escalian phrase, had ended his sport with Tess and the d'Urberville knights and dames slept on in their tombs, unknowing. The two speechless gazers bent themselves down to the earth, as if in prayer, and remained thus a long time absolutely motionless. The flag continued to wave silently. As soon as they had strength they arose, joined hands again, and went on. End of chapter fifty-nine. End of Tests of the D'Urbervilles By Thomas Hardy